we're excited that you're here today. We are in a series called Foundations, and um, just to, a kind of a one-minute synopsis of what Foundations is, is um, it's part of our, our Next Steps track here at the church uh, that we are continuing to work on and, and, and dial in, and uh, it's to help people take their next steps in their relationship with Jesus. Um, we here at Northwood Church, we want to help people follow Jesus. That's our heart, and uh, so we're continuing to work uh, to do that better and better. And so uh, in, in our, our, our Next Steps track, uh, we have Freedom, which you guys, many of y'all know what Freedom is, our Freedom Groups here at Northwood Church, and, uh, but we also are gonna be adding our Foundations class. And uh, our Foundations class, or our Foundation Groups, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of information, okay? A lot of information, a lot of theology and, and, and different things that we wanna really communicate well uh, in, this, in this class or in this group. And uh, because a lot of people, you know, when they, they come to faith in Christ, they may have an experience with God and they, they've experienced his grace and his forgiveness. Um, but we believe that we need to continue to grow in our understanding of God and, and his word and, um, you know, in, in our doctrine and doctrines of the faith. You know, nowadays, you can pretty much go online, you can read anything you want, right? And, and there's, when somebody says they're a Christian and they're teaching Christian doctrine, that spectrum is really, really large. And uh, so we wanna try to help bring clarity to what it is that we believe to help people, again, follow Jesus, right? And so that's what we're doing. We've been in this series for about a month now. And uh, last week was about the Bible. And we talked about the authority and the function of the Bible. And today is part two. And it's about the reliability of the Bible. And so just a fair warning, uh, again, last week, a lot of information, okay? Uh, for those of you who like a lot of information and you eat that up, like long form content, then, then you like that sort of stuff. Uh, for others, you're like, give me the cliff notes, okay? Give me like the 10 minute version or the 30 second TikTok version. Uh, this is not gonna be the TikTok version today, okay? Um, uh, not every single week is gonna be like this, but uh, we are gonna, we're gonna methodically move through some information because here's the deal. Our faith is hinging upon the, the, the reliability of the Bible. It really is. As Christians, when it comes to our belief system, everything that we believe and everything that we talk about comes from or should come from the word of God. It is the standard, the plumb line for our faith and the way that we live our lives. And so, so this week, part two, the reliability of the Bible. The first question is this, what is the Bible? So I've, I've got the old paper Bible in front of me. Many of y'all, it might've been months or even years since the last time you held an actual Bible, <laughs> you know, you're on your phone or a computer or whatever, but how did we get this Bible? What is the Bible? We wanna talk about that today. So, so what is the Bible? So a quick overview of the Bible. The Bible is an amazing book, but it's not just one book. It's actually 66 books split into two different parts. So the Old Testament is uh, 39 books and the New Testament is 27 books. And it's 40 different authors over 1600 years on three different continents in three different languages. And the amazing thing is, is that it doesn't contradict itself in any way, morally, doctrinally, you know, uh, 
scientifically, historically. There's no contradictions. Um, Answers in Genesis offers a good summary of the Bible. It says, it records the details of the creation of the universe, the origin of life, the moral law of God, the history of man's rebellion against God, and the historical details of God's work of redemption for all who trust in his son. Moreover, the Bible claims to be God's revelation to mankind. If true, this has implications for all aspects of life, how we should live, why we exist, what happens when we die, and what our meaning and purpose is. The Bible is a very, very important book, but how do we know that the claims of the Bible are actually true? Today is gonna answer a lot of those questions, a lot of those those questions that, that skeptics have about the Bible. How many of you have ever heard anyone say anything skeptical about the word of God before? Okay, if you haven't, bless you. All right, because there is a lot out there of people who undermine the Bible, and uh, a lot of it happens, I'll kind of paint a picture for you, put it this way. Imagine you grew up in church, you know, you're a church kid, and uh, you, you just always accepted the Bible as true. You were always told that it was true, that you could trust everything in it, and you just took it at face value. And then you graduate, and you go to college, and within a fir- the first few months, you start getting in these deep conversations with your peers and they begin to, you know, you have these religious conversations and they begin to talk about the Bible and they begin to undermine it. They start saying a lot of things that you've never heard before. And then you're, you're in your college class with the professor who he must or she must know, right? Because they're a professor. And they begin to talk about the book and they begin to talk about all sorts of things that you've never heard about. And all of a sudden you're confronted with this question of, Do I actually believe the claims of the Bible? Do I think that the words that are in the Bible are true? And that, I mean, have I believed a lie my whole life? And for some of you, that happens when you're a teenager. For others of you, it's in college. For others of you, it's in your 50s, right? Because maybe maybe you've just kind of accepted things your whole life. And all of a sudden, you know, we're in this information age and everybody's got access to all this information. And now we're hearing things that we've never heard before. And nobody wants to be the dumb one that's you know, not informed and gets caught you know, not knowing what they're talking about. So what happens is, is whenever that happens, people get, some people get a little bit afraid, right? Maybe everything that I've known or believed is not really uh, that you know, stable. I know a lot of people who are afraid to even talk about it because they'd rather live in oblivion, <laughs> right? Maybe a lot of you are like that, you know? They'd rather just, just don't tell me. I just want to blindly believe. And I think, that, uh, I think that does a disservice to us as, as believers, but also I believe it's a disservice to our growth and our, and our belief in God and our, our faith in him, but also for our young people. I think it's a disservice. And so if you've been at our church any amount of time, you've heard us speak about these things, about apologetics a few different times because it is one of the, the fights, uh, the battles, you know, the, the, the battle lines in, in our world today. Because we've all got information, but it's who's contextualizing the information that I believe kind of wins the battle. You know, and so we want to contextualize uh, this very well. So, so our faith hinges on the reliability of the Bible, but the question is, is it re- reliable? You hear people say things like the Bible is inaccurate, it's fiction, it contradicts itself, it's uh, used to manipulate the masses, right? 
How many of y'all, I believe it was Karl Marx that says that religion is the opiate of the masses. You know, there's just this undermining of, of religion, of Christianity. Some people say it's just another historical book. There's no real authority or, or life to it. Um, also, you'll hear that there's a lot of books of antiquity or ancient Near Eastern literature that really undermines the, the word of God, right? Uh, you know, the Epic of Gilgamesh and, and different books like that, where there's a lot of different flood stories all throughout, all throughout the world. And, and some people look at that and they, they believe that it undermines the word of God. Oh, look, the Bible's just like all these other books that has a flood story. And, um, you know, there's a lot of things out there that people are, are hearing and beginning to, to kind of tear into. And some of this is actually, in regards to human history, there's some newer things that we're beginning to discover and look at. And so I believe it's important for us to continue to learn these things. Um, by the way, if you've heard any things about, you know, books of antiquity and, and, and you've, you've heard, you know, Epic, Epic of Gilgamesh and, and the flood stories, uh, there's a book I would like to recommend to you. It's called Against the Gods from John Curid, and uh, where it's, it's a small book for all my small book people, all right? And it's easy to read. I haven't read the whole thing, but, but he's, he's an academic guy that has broken it down for all of us normal people, okay? And uh, you can go and read and, and just kind of have a bigger understanding about the conversation that's going on there. But uh, time and time again, whenever those objections come, we, some people, again, they kind of cower. They sort of get a little afraid. Well, maybe it is true. But one thing I wanna, I wanna ask you to do or, or kind of help you out is, is to be skeptical of your skepticism. So if someone comes to you or if you read a, a book or watch a video and it causes you to be skeptical, well, be skeptical of that skepticism. Because many times the newest information we receive, there's something in us that assumes that that's the best information, but that's not always the case. And there's a, a lot of different things that we could talk about when it comes to being skeptical uh, of our skepticism, but uh, skepticism has always existed. Jesus was raised from the dead, and you would think that in that time when the resurrection happened and you had hundreds of people that actually saw Jesus come, you know, in form right there in front of them, that people would have believed, right? No. You know the story of, of Thomas, right? Jesus is in front of him, and he's still like, yeah, I'm not quite sure about that. There's always been skepticism. Paul, in Acts chapter 17, he's dealing with the philosophers of the day and, and the skepticism at that time, and he's confronting it with the word of God. All throughout history, Peter is why he talks about how we should be able to give a, a, a reason for what we believe. Apologetics, right? They give a reason for what we believe. But skepticism's always existed, and like we talked about last, uh, last week, Go back to the garden. The serpent says, did God really say? Just a little bit of doubt. And one thing I wanna encourage you in, again, like we talked about last week, is, is that you're always going to deal with, a, deal with a certain level of doubt. You're always gonna deal with a certain level of doubt. The whole idea that you are you know, searching for some sort of you know, idealistic, utopian state of knowledge of all things is not realistic, okay? And so for some of you, if you're waiting for that moment before you really go all in, um, you're gonna be waiting a long time. There is an element of faith that, that is needed uh, for all belief systems, okay? Atheist, agnostic, it doesn't matter. There's a level of faith in all of us that, that's, that's needed. And so um, let's talk about this. How do we get the Bible that we have today? 
The process of how the books of the Bible were selected and compiled is a complex process called canonization. And it involved Jewish rabbis, scholars, early church leaders. Uh, and again, many of you have probably done some research and you understand the canonization. Obviously, all of these, um, these subjects we're not delving into and exhausting, but I kind of want to give you a flyover of some of these things. So the books that were selected in the canonization process, uh, they had to be written by apostolic authors or authors who were closely associated with the apostles. Last week, if you remember the, graph, the uh, chart that we put up, um, that's what that was talking about. Um, also, the books that were selected had to teach the orthodox faith of the apostles. So people came out with a lot of books, right? So how did they decipher which one were the ones that should be in what we have today as the Bible, as the Holy Bible. Well, they would compare them. They would get together in these councils and they, and they would look at them and they would compare the text and they would say, hey, this person wrote this book. We're really not sure who wrote this, but also they didn't write it. It's not in, in the same pattern of the gospel or, or the same belief that Paul said here. And they would say, hey, this book is, is not gonna be uh, kept in, or canonized roughly put, okay? And so there was, but this was, the, this was the criteria that they had to reach. Uh, they also had to be widely accepted in the earliest church from the beginning. And so the Bible that we have was officially canonized through a series of councils and was completed in the late fourth century. Um, there's a lot of videos that you can go and research and watch and learn from, of one of which, one of which is How Do We Get the Bible uh, from Southern Seminary. It's about a 12-minute long synopsis of the canonization of Scripture. But you can also go and you can study for years if you'd like to on the canonization. It's totally up to you. Um, but it is the process of how the 66 books that we have were compiled together. Um, but the, the next question would be, how did we get the English translation of the Bible? In case you didn't know, the Bible was not written in English. It was written in Greek, Aramaic, and Hebrew. And uh, Latin actually replaced Greek in the first few centuries in the Roman Empire. So the Bible was translated into Latin in 405, and it was uh, called the, the Latin Vulgate. Um, and then in 1384, John Wycliffe translated the Latin Vulgate into English. In the 1450s, a new technology came out called the printing press, which revolutionized uh, books and how they were created, right? And uh, it was called the printing press. And so in 1536, William Tyndale was the first, he was the first to translate the Bible to English directly from the Hebrew and Greek manuscripts. And he was eventually executed as a heretic for wanting to mass produce the Bible in English. And so that's in 1536. Three years later, in 1539, King Henry VIII authorized the printing of the English Bible. Oh, how quickly things change, right? So, and that's called the Great Bible. And then we fast forward to 1611, and that's where the King James Version was completed, and it was the first widely used English Bible translation. Um, and many people today still read and, and use the 1611 King James Version as their standard. Uh, it's a great translation. There are other translations. And of course, like anything, there's a lot of controversy around different translations of the Bible and which ones are legitimate or not. Um, the English Standard Version is a great uh, version that just came out uh, probably about, I think about 20, 25 years ago. Um, and again, back to the Greek and Hebrew manuscripts to, uh, to go word by word to translate these. Um, one thing I do want to say, this is a side note that I just think needs to be said. Um, you're going to see a lot of stuff on the internet where people begin to talk about different versions of the Bible, translations of the Bible, and they say, you know, there's, there's missing verses. 
Um, I just want to talk about that because every couple of years it like comes back through Facebook again. And people are like, oh, Zondervan, and they're, you know, they're Satan. You know, they're trying to remove scriptures from the Bible. Um, there's certain uh, books of the Bible that may be missing one or two verses, uh, different translations. The reason is, is that if you had 10 different manuscripts, I'm just going to make this, you know, kind of give you a quick illustration. If you had 10 different manuscripts of a certain uh, chapter, and eight of those manuscripts had 15 verses, and uh, the other two had 13 verses, some translators removed those two verses that weren't in all the manuscripts, and some kept them. That's the reason why. It's not because somebody had this diabolical plan to undermine the word of God. Yeah? Some of you are like, I need to go delete that post off Facebook right now. <laughs> Everybody is always in a witch hunt, man. You know, and it, it's, <laughs> sometimes it's not that complicated. Um, but there's different translations. And, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's paraphrases, okay? But as far as if, if I'm studying, I, I like to go with the ESV. I think it's a, um, you can get the ESV study Bible. We didn't go into that last week. There's a lot of Bible study tools. And you can go and you can research a lot of things around these different translations. But um, in 1611, the King James Version was completed. So today, the Bible is still actively being translated in many other languages. And uh, actually, Wycliffe.org says that there are 1,600 languages still in need of a Bible translation as of uh, October of last year. So uh, isn't that crazy to think? We just take it for granted that we have an English Bible, but man, it's really a miracle that we have a Bible. People for many, many generations could not read the Bible. It was in Latin, and they didn't speak Latin. Imagine coming here to church and me reading in a different language that you didn't know. And then just, all right, see you later. It was this idea, you know, and this actually happened in other cultures that just books themselves just kind of had like a power to them and you didn't really need to have any understanding of what it said, but you'll just kind of absorb it. No, I'm sorry, guys. If I listen to somebody talking a different language, I am not getting much out of it, you know? Uh, But man, we are grateful for the English version of the Bible that we have today. So... What we wanna do with the remaining time that we have here today, though, is to look at reasons that we believe that the Bible is reliable. And again, just so you guys understand sort of where we're coming from in, in a message like today, today's message is, is not going to be like a verse-by-verse teaching or some sort of topical message or anything like that. Today is to encourage your confidence in the Bible that you have, so that way, whenever you read, that you can believe that this book is legitimate. Does that make sense? Um, sometimes we assume that people just are okay with the Bible. Like they just assume that it's a, it's a, it's a book, that, that it has sacred, you know, and we should receive it. But it's not the case. And so that's why we take time to do what we're doing today. But we, 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 we're gonna skip some rocks, all right? And we're gonna skip rocks over two different evidences that we believe uh, that support the reliability of the Bible. And it's manuscript evidence and also scientific evidence. All right, so let's look at these. Number one is manuscript evidence. Um, I wanna show you a couple of pictures to help you kind of understand what's going on here. So the first picture is a picture of uh, papyri, and this is a plant-based paper. This is the type of paper that they would write on back in the day with uh, ancient literature. Uh, It looks pretty pretty stable, huh? (laughs) Sure, that could last a long time. Uh, No, it's not the paper that we had today. And so they would write on these, they'd have scrolls or whatever the case is, and they would write on this plant-based material. And so what would happen over time is that they would begin to break down. 
And so if you do any uh, research on books of antiquity, you'll see people talk about uh, fragments. And uh, go ahead and put up that next picture. What they're referring to is is things like this. This is a a fragment of the book of John, chapter 18. It's uh, it's, uh, labeled P52. And this is, you know, you'll see that the Bible has tens of thousands of fragments. And this is the kind of fragments that they're talking about. And it's as the, uh, the papyrus, as it breaks down, this is what it looks like. Um, did you guys just see that? Okay. <clears throat> that is a piece of ceiling tile. That's what that is. So much like the papyrus would break down, I guess ceiling tiles are similar. And uh, there it is. That threw me off. I'm glad I didn't do something weird. Yeah, like... React in a weird way. All right, let me gather my thoughts again. Uh, P52. Yeah. So, um, so it, this was written, by the way, this was written in 130 AD. Uh, the next picture is this. It's uh, Codex Vaticanus, and it's written on parchment and, uh, or like calf skin, and it was written around the fourth century. All right, I want you to have these pictures in your mind as we talk about the next part that we're talking about, because whenever... Uh, there is a, um, whenever somebody is trying to prove or talk about the reliability of manuscripts, they run it through what's called a bibliographical test. And this test has three ways of testing the reliability of a manuscript, and it's this. Number one is the number of copies of the original, okay? Copies of the originals. We don't have the originals anymore, all right? And that's with any book of antiquity, the, the, As you just saw with the fragments, they begin to break down, and that's why the copies are so important. So it's number of copies. Number two is the time gap between the originals and the existing copies. Okay, so y'all track it with me. Number of copies, and then also the the gate uh, the uh, the the years between the original and the copy. And then there's also the degree of accuracy between the copies that you have. Okay, so then you take all the copies, you put them together, you take the fragments, you put them together, and you begin to say, okay, are they, are they accurate? Are they not? Man, if there's a lot of discrepancies, then it sort of breaks down your, your argument or the reliability that you would have in that text. So how does the Bible measure up to other books of antiquity when applying this test? Uh, well, we wanna go and put up a graph right now to kind of show you what that looks like. And this is comparing the manuscripts, first of all. Uh, what you see here is you have Tac- Tacitus Annals, you have uh, Plato's Tetralogies, uh, Caesar, uh, Caesar's uh, Gaelic Wars, uh, Homer's the Iliad, and then the New Testament. They're all side by side. And if you look, we have 36 copies of, of Tacitus. We have 238 copies of Plato's. We have 251 copies of Gaelic Wars. We have 1,900 copies of Homer's the Iliad. And we have 5,795 copies of the New Testament. That's a lot of copies to have, (laughs) okay? And that's just of the New Testament. The next one is how many years between the gap of the original and the copies. And this is kind of how it plays out here. 800 years, 200 years, 950 years, 385 years, but only 45 years for the New Testament. In case, you know, I could summarize, I'll just summarize it like this. The New Testament does very well in the test, all right? It does very well. It actually blows the other books. A lot of books that people use in colleges and read as fact over and over and over, and they trust what it says, 
Whenever we look at the New Testament, we can have reliability, have confidence in the reliability of the New Testament that what we're reading today is actually what was written down many years ago. Now, there's a whole lot more that I'm having to kind of like bite my tongue on because there's a lot more that we could say about this. But I want to point you in the direction of a documentary that does a a great job uh, of, of explaining this, and it's Fragments of Truth. Um, It just came out a few years ago, but you can go on YouTube. It's actually available on YouTube now for free. It's about an hour, hour and a half long. Uh, It's uh, from Logos uh, Bible Software. So if you search Fragments of Truth, uh, Logos Bible Software, go watch that documentary. They did an incredible job. uh, And anyway, it'll, it'll help you to understand a little bit more of what we're talking about here today. But in addition to the copies that we have and the years that we've just talked about, there is close to 25,000 fragments and copies total of the New Testament, and actually 66,000 fragments and copies if you combine together the Old and the New Testament. An overwhelming amount of of, um, research has been done to support this. And so manuscript evidence is one way that we have confidence in the reliability of the Bible. And the second is this, scientific evidence. Now, the Bible is not a science book. That's not the way that I think about the Bible. It's not a science book. However, science does support the Bible. Okay, there's been no discoveries that have said otherwise. And many scientists affirm the Bible as reliable and accurate. Um, It's something that I, I really wanna throw out there. A lot of times in our culture, It is spun, the story is spun that science is at odds with the Bible. And there's almost this, you know, scientist and the smart people versus Bible scholars and Christians who are the dumb people. And that is not the way that it has always been in history. And that's actually not true, okay? Um, if, If you go and you do research on science and the the, the root system of science, you'll see that, that Christians were at the forefront of that, that the study of the word of God was at the forefront of this, this um, uh, desire to know. And, and, and so anyway, I just, sometimes you, you watch things and you hear people talk and you're like, man, they're just spinning it to make it sound like science, you know, follow the science, follow the science. And I'm not saying don't follow science. I'm just saying that the idea that science and faith are at odds is not completely accurate. It is for some people, but not for all. And so we want to look at some of the scientific evidence. We believe that the Bible is reliable, but it also sort of uh, overlaps with the existence of God, which is something that we talked about a couple of years ago in our, in our What Do You Believe series. Um, does God exist? You can go back and watch that on YouTube. But some, some examples of scientific evidence in regards to the word of God. Uh, we're gonna look at astronomy first, which is the study of the universe and all that is in it. Uh, Dr. Robert, uh, Robert Jastrow, he was an astronomer, a physicist, uh, former director of NASA's Goddard Institute of Space Studies. Um, this is what he said. Astronomers now find that they have painted themselves into a corner because they have, a, they have proven by their own methods that the world began abruptly in an act of creation to which you can trace the seeds of every star, every planet, every living thing in this cosmos and on the earth. And they have found that all this happened is a product of forces they cannot hope to discover. That there are what I or anyone would call supernatural forces at work is now, I think, a scientifically proven fact. What's interesting about Dr. Robert Jastrow is that he was not a Christian. He was an agnostic. And you can go on YouTube and you can watch some of the interviews that he has where he struggles with his agnosticism, 
but also this tension that pulls him towards believing there's some sort of intelligent designer. And, um, and it's a very interesting thing to see. But again, a, a guy, a, a person that, that just knows, right? They're, they're the smart people and the doctors and, and they know. And here's one at the, at the forefront of astronomy who says, man, it's not that easy, right? There, there's a start to time and space that, that undermines what a lot of people believe in regards to naturalism. And, but to give you an example of, of what this is, uh, what we're talking about, in Job 9, verse 8, it talks about the heavens being stretched out, which refers to the expansion of space, something that we didn't know for a very, very long time after Job was written, right? Another verse in Job 26, 7 says that the earth hangs from nothing, which refers to the earth's suspension in space. Again, things that people did not know. Job was one of the first books ever written in, that we have in the Bible. Even though it's later in the Bible, by the way, the Old Testament that we have, uh, it's not in chronological order. So Job was written far before a lot of the other books uh, that it comes after. And uh, so it refers to things that we didn't know, that wasn't, wasn't scientifically proven for a very, very long time, right? Um, another person that, I, another resource I wanted to point you at was uh, is Hugh Ross. He is a Christian astrophysicist. Uh, you can go to reasonsbelieve.org and you can read articles for days. You can go to their podcast and you can listen to podcasts for days, talk about some of the things that we're talking about in regards to astronomy and the evidence that supports the existence of God and also supports uh, what the word of God says. Um, I do wanna say this as well. You're always gonna find, even in uh, Christianity, you're gonna find different people who would have differing views of what the Bible says. Uh, Hugh Ross, you'll Answers in Genesis with Ken Ham. You have some people that are, uh, they believe in old earth, some are young earth, but, um, but we actually talk about this in our podcast that's coming out this week. But in, in all of it, again, it does not affect the gospel, okay? You need to know that. Like if someone has a different uh, view of creation or a different view of uh, the afterlife in regards, you know, or end times and all that, um, those things, they don't mess with the word of God in regards to the gospel, so I think it's important because a lot of people divide over things that I don't think need to be divided over, and that would be one of them. But uh, we can all agree that Jesus is Lord, right? Good, good, okay. Um, the next thing is archeology, span the study of human activity through the recovery and, and analysis of material culture. Nelson Gluick said this, he was a Jewish archeologist. He said, it may be stated categorically that no archeological discovery has ever contradicted a biblical reference. Whenever we look at everything that's been dug up and, and discovered, there's, there's nothing that actually says the Bible is wrong. And one of the great examples of this is the, uh, it kind of wraps up historical evidence, manuscript evidence, and archeological evidence is the Dead Sea Scrolls. And I wanna read this summary to you. In 1947, the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, which date back to 100 BC, showed remarkable agreement between them and the oldest um, Old Testament manuscripts that we have, which were dated from 1000 AD. This further proves that the reliability of the Hebrew copies of the Old Testament that exist today, that they're reliable. A thousand year gap, and yet whenever we discover it in 1947, they're virtually exactly the same. So 
When you look at the different scrolls and the different manuscripts, a lot of times there's slight discrepancy, discrepancies. There's, there's variations in the text. And um, some of you, you might have heard of Bart Ehrman, who wrote a book, Misquoting Jesus, where he claims that there's two, three, even maybe 400,000 errors in the Bible. A lot of you college kids, if you're out there and you hear people say stuff like that, oh, there's just contradictions in the Bible all over the place. A lot of that comes from guys like Bart Ehrman who write these books and they make a claim. Here's the interesting thing about that claim. If you go to the appendix, I believe it's two, uh, page 252, if I'm not mistaken, but in the appendix, he then comes back and he says, by the way, all the textual variations that we were talking about that I mentioned, they do nothing to affect or, uh, or undermine the, the doctrines of Christianity. So what they talk about is maybe a comma, a misspelled word, something like that. And that's the, the variation or the contradictions that many of them are referring to. Uh, there's other ones that have more of a, need a legitimate conversation around, but, but some of them are very small. And it's just another example of so many times you hear people throw things out. And if you really just, just kind of scratch it a little bit, right? Just kind of dig just a little bit, you realize that's a very thin argument, okay? Anyway, I'm trying to keep going, by the way, because there's, you know what I'm saying? It's like a well that you could just jump into and just go for, but we're not doing that today. A couple of resources for uh, some archaeological um, proof would be biblicalarchaeology.org or armstronginstitute.org. They're always coming out with more studies and, and more um, discoveries, and they write up articles on them. A lot of great information that you can read if you're into that. Uh, the next thing is anthropology, which is the study of humanity and how societies became what they uh, were and what they are. And I wanna read this summary. This is from the Smithsonian Department of Anthropology. It says this, much of the Bible, in particular, the historical books of the Old Testament are as accurate historical documents as any that we have from antiquity and are in fact more accurate than many of the Egyptian, Mesopotamian, or Greek histories. These biblical records can be and are used as, um, as are other ancient documents in archeological work. It's always interesting whenever you can go to a website like that and read a quote like that. Now, in that article, they have a whole lot more to say about the Bible, but that's just something for us to also look at and say, okay, we can rely on the Bible in regards to uh, anthropology, right? The study of culture, humans and, and their culture. And what's interesting, if you look at Genesis chapter 10 in the table of nations, uh, it's one of the most concise renderings of the distribution of language and of people groups. And so you can go back to the Bible to even discover more anthrop anthropological uh, evidence of the reliability of the word of God. Um, lastly, lastly, and then we're gonna be done for today, is biology. And this is the study of living things. The scriptures contains insight about human biology and even health sciences. Uh, the guy that discovered pasteurization, Louis Pasteur, he said this, a bit of science distances one from God, but much science nears one to him. He said, the more that I study nature, the more I stand amazed at the work of the creator. Sometimes a little bit of information about something causes us to believe exactly what that little bit of information says. But if we dig deeper, again, we get into kind of the, we get into the root system of those things and we begin to discover more. And, and, and listen, again, 
just floating over these topics today, especially young people. If I haven't said it enough today for you to understand how much I feel this for young people, uh, I'm just gonna say it again. You are gonna hear so many things. In high school, you will, but in college, you're gonna hear a lot more that are going to seek to destroy your belief system, to destroy your faith in God. And I want you to remember quotes like this. I want you to remember quotes of doctors and scientists and, and men of God who, who, Hugh Ross, Christian astrophysicist, who are in those fields and have been studying in those fields for decades, and then would summarize all of their study in statements like this. I believe that the word of God is self-sufficient and we can stand upon it. But I also know that God has given us gifts in regards to teachers and pastors and scientists and people to help us have confidence in his word. And so as much as you would dig into these, um, these atheists or agnostic scientists and, and whatnot, read their books, I just wanna let you know that there are a plethora of, of the other side and to dig into those as well. And that's why we're throwing some of these out today. But um, no matter what it is, biological, archeological, all of the, the sciences, the Bible is accurate, it's true, and, and this is why. Second Timothy says this, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The word of God that we have, the holy scriptures, the Old and the New Testament, we've looked at the last two weeks. We looked, we've looked at his authority, the function of the word of God, and, and now we've looked at some more of the tangible evidences today. But all of it together, it's accurate, not because men got together and made it accurate and made it work. It's accurate because it was breathed out by God, the creator of the universe, who, who has given us his word to know him, to know about him, and to know what we need to know to live a life of righteousness that pleases him. And that's what we believe. That's what we hold fast to. And so the culture that we're in is coming up against this in a new way, in a, in a, in a strong way. But we're gonna stand we're gonna stand strong. Come on, y'all. We're gonna stand, we're gonna have confidence in the word, and we're gonna continue to have these conversations. Um, tonight, for many of you, or this week, you're gonna be in your small groups where we're gonna discuss some of these things. But I'd, I'd encourage you, man, watch the documentaries that we talked about today. Go to the websites that we talked about today. Do a little bit of study. For many of you, I know there's people in this room, you've been struggling with some of the things that we've talked about today. And I, don't, I know that what we've talked about is not you know, the whole kit and caboodle, if people still say that. <laughs> the whole thing, how would I say that in a way that actually makes sense? The whole thing, but it wasn't designed to be the whole thing. Today was designed for you to sort of pique your interest in certain directions and, uh, and, and go study. As pastors, uh, we love you, and we're gonna continue to do our best to teach you uh, what we believe as a church, and this is one step in that. But I wanna pray for you because I know a lot of you are uh, struggling in a lot of different areas. You're struggling in your faith in God and your confidence in the word of God. And uh, I just wanna ask God to do a work in our hearts in this regard. Lord, we ask you to open up our eyes, 
to trust you, to believe. God, I pray that every lie that the enemy deals, God, that we would have discernment. And Lord, we have discernment by your spirit. So God, we ask that you would fill us with your spirit to discern truth and lies. God, as we read your word, that you would illuminate your word. As we study your word and as we study other people's ideas about your word, God, I pray that you give us wisdom. That you would help us to understand why we believe what we believe. Jesus, you understand the struggles that we have. You came to this earth. You experienced everything that we experienced. Yet you were without sin. You were without unbelief. God, we, we remember how when Jesus faced the enemy, when he was in the wilderness for 40 days, he didn't combat the enemy with lofty speech and big ideas. He came with the word of God. And so Lord, we pray that we would know your word, not just intellectually, but at a deep part in our heart, God, that we would know your word to be able to use your word as a sword to fight the enemy, to fight lies. Help us be a church, a, a community of people that study your word. That, that God, that we would be growing in our understanding of your word. That we would walk with grace, but God, that we would walk with boldness in this culture that seeks to undermine who you are. We thank you for trusting us in this time in history to be carriers of your word. And God, I pray that you would help us to do that well, to do that, to do that for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.